have your Bibles, turn to uh, Acts chapter 4. Today we're concluding this series on grow uh, that uh, we began in January where we looked at uh, what the Bible says it takes for a follower of Jesus and for the church to grow. We began by looking at the issue of prayer and how that we as followers of Jesus must pray. Uh, And then we looked at the issue of obedience. Prayer by itself is not sufficient to grow as a church or as a follower of Christ. Prayer uh, requires obedience. And and so that we are not merely hearers, but doers of what God tells us to do. So we have prayer, we have obedience. Then we looked at, at living the mission. Jesus had a mission that he embarked upon, uh, that he fulfilled, and he passed that mission on to us. And I'm so thankful for our church, 200-plus uh, years of serving God's glory in uh, the seven cities of Hampton Roads. God has planted us here so that we would have a passion Uh, to fulfill the mission that he's given us. And for 200 years, um, mostly faithfully, we as a church have been pursuing uh, that dream that God has for us of of advancing his kingdom and sharing the gospel and growing up disciples who make disciples. Uh, That is who we are. And I'm excited that God has done that for us. And then uh, after living the mission, we looked at generosity and became kind of a, a... a standalone uh, look, and it's not because generosity is more important uh, than those other ingredients. It's just sometimes we don't view generosity as a core component of who we are as followers of Jesus. And sometimes we think generosity is one of those optional things, take it or leave it as a follower of Christ. Uh, But as we consider what the Bible says to us about generosity, um, there is on us the certainty that this is an essential part of who we are. In fact, uh, today we're looking at authentic generosity, and I would contend that authentic generosity is that which flows out of my life abiding with Jesus. The more I'm like Jesus, the more I'll be generous. We'll look at that in a second. Uh, But... uh, one of the things that we're going to do is next week, we're going to actually put into practice what God's Word has shared with us. It's uh, not enough to hear God's Word. We've got to do something about it. And so next week, uh, we're going to have a special offering. And uh, that offering is going to have three components. The first component, as we give generously, as God leads us to give generously, and we're obedient to Him, uh, as I shared last week, Edie and I are giving perhaps the most and I think it is, if I remember correctly, this is the most uh, challenging generosity that we've ever exhibited in giving. And, and so uh, I'm, in, I'm excited about that and a little bit nervous about that, but it's what God has led us to do to, to uh, uh, not just talk about generosity, but actually live it, not just live it, but lead in it. And, and so we are being generous till it hurts. And C.S. Lewis said, be generous till it hurts. And then be generous some more, you know, and, and, and we're there. Uh, so that's going to be great. We're excited about that and scared all at the same time. But it's, a, it's part of that faith journey. So I want to encourage you to join us in that and, 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 and see what God can do. All right, so, so that's where, where we are. But next week as we do uh, this giving, we're going to take the first $83,000 and some change. That's our weekly budget. 
for First Norfolk. And you might say, well, why are we giving a special offering that? Well, because that's, that's bread and butter for us. And, and, and that's what we do. That, that $83,000 and some change, if you remember, through that $83,000 and some change, we, we make disciples on a weekly basis. We, we uh, expand our ministry capacity uh, this year and over the long haul. We help hurting people pretty much daily. We gather for worship at least once a week. Uh, we invest in the next generation uh, several times during the week, uh, and then we live the mission globally. And for our church, that's pretty much all the time, 24-7, living the mission globally. And so uh, that $83,000 uh, plus some change, that, that goes directly to what God has called us to do as a church uh, in living the mission globally. Then the, the, the next part of our offering, uh, we're going to divide in half. Uh, so there are two parts. Anything above the $83,000, one half is going to go to help hurting families in our church. There are, church, uh, there are families in our church still trying to dig out of the, of the struggle and the aftermath of Hurricane Matthew, and, and we have been made aware of some of those, and we felt like this was an offering that we should do as a family, that we should, uh, we should give above and beyond the budget and, and take, uh, take half that excess and, and provide for the needs of those within the church family. And, uh, and then the second half uh, is uh, going to be the starter kit, uh, the seed money, the, the beginning part of our partnership and investment in uh, uh, a church plant in uh, uh, Norfolk, the urban setting in Norfolk, uh, where it is... Uh, uh, our privilege to partner with uh, Charles Shannon and the Mission Church. Uh, it's called the Mission Church. And, and uh, I'm, I'm thrilled because today uh, you're going to get to meet Charles uh, and his wife, Jackie, and I've asked them to come. They have, uh, uh, I've asked them to come and share with you all. So y'all welcome Charles and Jackie Shannon, the Mission Church, our partners. Um, now, as they're coming, they have three children. CJ's the oldest, Hannah and then uh, John Mark, and then there is one more in the womb. And so they're going to have four children and planting a church in Norfolk. And I'm so excited. You, I have come to love this family. You need to love them too. Charles, share about church. Uh, very good. Well, good morning to everyone here. Uh, my name is Charles Shannon. I love the people who live, work, and play in Norfolk, Virginia. We've got the world's largest Navy base. We've got EVMS. We've got ODU. We've got Norfolk State University. Uh, we've got the urban dynamics, the diversity of the city from the gentrifiers, urban renewalists, the hipsters, the hip hop culture. And our desire is to see the diversity of the people who make up the city together in one worshiping community in the urban core of the city. So if you hear my story, you know I grew up in an inner city area impoverished area. There wasn't a lot of gospel churches. By God's grace, I grew up in Pensacola, Florida. I met a sweet young Navy girl who shared the gospel. And over a year, I turned from my sin and put my faith in Jesus Christ. And uh, her message was so sweet, I had to marry her. Her God was so beautiful, uh, and, and I, I came to love him and felt a call to ministry. Around that same time, she got orders here to Norfolk, Virginia, 
and we moved our family here. I studied at a local Christian university and then on to a small seminary in Virginia Beach. And during that time, God just impressed upon my heart as I was learning all that rich Bible, all the rich theology, all the church history, all the ministry practice, that there was not an expression of this type of church in an urban setting. And so we picked up, we moved from the suburbs to uh, and bought a home in Norfolk right in the center of what is a great gospel opportunity. And we've been gathering people the last year and hoping to see the mission church fully expressed, fully worshiping Jesus, gathering to worship and scattering to be a witness in a dark place. And so your prayers are appreciated. We're still gathering people. We have about 21 adults. We're praying that the Lord will give us about 15 to 20 more as we plan to launch the Sunday after Easter. And I'm just excited about this opportunity, not only to share a vision, but to have a long-term partnership Amen. here with First Norfolk. So thank Amen. you for allowing me to share. Well, we are excited, and you're going to have an opportunity to pray for them and over them. Uh, will you all be able to stay through the invitation this time? Okay. You'll have a chance at the end of the service to pray for them, pray over them. Uh, you'll get to meet them again. And, and uh, uh, again, this is going to be a long-term partnership that we're going to have. Uh, it's exciting for us to, to partner with them. Uh, they're going to be with us Easter. Uh, uh, Charles will uh, have some time there. Not much because, you know, I am a jealous pastor about the pulpit time. But, but he'll have some time there and, and uh, get to share. And, and uh, the, uh, the 21 adults in the Mission Church will be gathered with us there at the TED. So that's going to be a great time. I, I'm just thrilled about uh, this uh, implementation of our 10-year vision. You remember our 10-year vision. Part of it is is to plant 20 churches in 10 years. And uh, so this is the first installment that we're partnering with. So that's, that's exciting to me. We've got a church satellite <clears throat> that's going to be happening this year as well. And, and by the way, y'all pray for that church satellite because we are right at the precipice of starting to make some decisions in terms of location, 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 and, uh, and place, place, place. And so uh, you need to just, in fact, our, our staff are going to be meeting on Tuesday uh, to, uh, uh, to finalize exactly how we're going to roll some of this out so that uh, we do a good job of communicating and building uh, energy and excitement and recruiting uh, those that God is calling out to be part of that, that satellite campus uh, as we approach Easter as well. So all those things just rolling uh, and it is a thrilling time to be part of First Baptist Norfolk. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. <clears throat> Got to tell you, I've sweated through my shirt two or three times today, uh, so I'm going to take this off, and uh, uh, hopefully that'll cool me off a little bit. Y'all like my tie? Thank you very much. Acts chapter 4. Here's where we are. We're talking about authentic generosity. Now, authentic is what we want to be. Okay, if you're a follower of Jesus, you want to be an authentic follower of Jesus. That's how you're wired. That's how you're made. We say that people who aren't authentic and they claim to be Christians, but they're not authentic, we call them what? Exactly. You were quick. It's just a little quick calling people hypocrites now. But that's what we, if you're, if you're, if you say I'm a follower of Jesus and you're not authentic, then that's, that's hypocrite. Now, let me just go ahead and say this. There are people who say, I'm not going to go to that church. There are hypocrites in that church. That just makes me giggle. That makes me go, of course there are hypocrites in this church. 
There are hypocrites in your home. There's a hypocrite staring at you when you're looking at the bathroom mirror in the morning. The problem is we all struggle with authenticity. We all like to play it fake sometimes. But as followers of Jesus, our yearning, our desire, our calling, our DNA, the code by which we live is authenticity, not counterfeit. And so as we look at the church in Acts chapter 4, we see God speaking to us today about his authentic ideal for the church. Acts chapter 4, 32 through 37, God is not just giving us a history lesson about the way church was back in Jerusalem around 36, 37 AD. What he's doing is saying, this is my dream for the church. Acts chapter 4, verse 32, as you read it in just a minute, don't, add, don't say, well, that's the way it used to be. But rather say, this is the way it is and the way it should be. So, Acts chapter 4, let's read along uh, out of the New King James Version. Now, the multitude who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own. But they had all things in common and with great power. The apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of land or houses uh, sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as anyone had need. And Jose, it's really not Jose, but it's easier, Joseph. That just doesn't sound right, does it? Joses. Joses. So Jose, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is also called the son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, Cyprus having land, sold it, brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. And what we learn here from the first church, big picture that we're going to look at today, is that generosity is the fruit of of an authentic life abiding in Jesus, okay? A lot of words there, but, but let me kind of break it down, going back to the idea of authentic. Authentic is better than fake, right? Authentic is better than fake. Let me illustrate. Authentic is better than fake. Um, can I get a pen? Somebody throw me a pen. Just, just almost caught it. All right, so... And I'll throw it back in a second. All right, so piece of paper, pen. I won't throw it and put somebody's eye out like that. Okay, so here's a piece of paper. And I wrote a one, a dollar sign, a one and six zeros on it. One, six zeros with a dollar sign in front. Anybody excited about that? But here is a one with two zeros behind it. Which would you rather have? The one with two zeros or the one with six zeros? Which one? 
This one or this one? What is the value of this? Well, there's a piece of paper, whatever that pulp would be. There's writing on the other side. Those are my thoughts. They're valuable. One in six zeros. One in two zeros. This is worth about $50. Y'all need to be quicker. It's a $100 bill. It's worth about $50. Y'all get it? Get it now? Okay. So this is fake. It can't buy you anything. This can buy you something. Fake, authentic. Authentic is better than fake. As a follower of Jesus, the same is true. As a church, the same is true. Authentic is better than fake. Authentic is better than counterfeit. And and an authentic life means that we are immersing ourselves in the grace of God so that His grace overtakes us, transforms us with a life-giving warmth so that we radiate that wondrous life that he's poured in us toward others so that our walk is more than just following a set of rules or a code of conduct, but our walk, our journey through life is literally a picture of what God has designed for us and desires for us. The first church there in Acts was living an authentic life. And that authenticity produced generosity. And and honestly, you got to hear this. Authenticity produces generosity. Now, you can be generous and not be an authentic follower of Jesus. You can be generous, but not be authentic in your following after Jesus. You've seen this. I've seen this. In Acts chapter 5, I mean, the next verse after verse 37, the next verse introduces a couple that, although they were generous, they were not authentic. Their names were Ananias and Sapphira, and they got struck down pretty quick because of their inauthenticity. Because they were bringing a reproach to the name of God. They were, they were bringing down the community of God's people. And so, not because they didn't give everything they had, but because they were deceitful and they were trying to, they were trying to show themselves up as very spiritual by giving money. The, that, that's a generous person, but not an authentic person. You're here today, and you can be generous without being authentic as a follower of Jesus. But there is no way that you can be authentic as a follower of Jesus and not be generous. If you're authentic, you're going to be generous. If you're not generous, you're not being authentic. You might say, well, Eric, you're tying uh, my walk with Jesus to generosity. Why are you doing that? Because that's what the Bible does. 
God's word teaches us that generosity is wise, that generosity is the plan God has for us, that generosity flows out of God's grace to us, that generosity is part of our DNA as followers of Jesus. We have given ourselves permission to be disobedient to God and selfish at our core, and today we need to go ahead and acknowledge that we're not going to do that anymore because I don't want to be a hypocrite, and I want to walk the path that God has set for me. Now, last week we talked about selfishness. I'm not going to go back to that because that was hard. I mean, I I heard from some of y'all. I understand. I really do. I get it. It was hard. It wasn't fun. We're not going back there today, but, but I do. Well, I'm not preaching a sermon on it today. I will go back to it for a second. Promise just for a second. But what we need to do is we need to ask ourselves the question, am I being authentic? Am I being an authentic follower of Jesus? Not playing games, not making excuses. Am I being authentic? Now, the only judge of authenticity in this room is the Holy Spirit of God. You open up God's word and you measure Your authenticity, not by the actions of the person sitting next to you. Measure your authenticity by what God's Word says. We want to live authentic lives. And how do we get there? Well, again, don't have time to break apart this whole passage, but I do want to to key in on a couple of places. The first is, if we're going to live an authentic life, we need to immerse ourselves in God's dream. Do you know that God has a dream for your life? God has a dream for this church. God has a dream for humanity. God's dream for humanity is not a concoction of well wishes that, that, uh, that erupt out of the imagination of people, but, but God's dream is, is, uh, is unveiled and unleashed on, on, on this world as his love invades this world and transforms our lives and shatters sin and, and breaks open the, the cell and the prison in which we have lived. It, it, it's this, this wondrous, wondrous dream of his love invading our world so that, so that the darkness is, is swallowed up by the light, so that, so that despair is, is overwhelmed with hope, so that uh, sadness is, is, is consumed by joy, so that, so that, so that life overwhelms death so that Jesus, who is the Savior, who was killed on a cross for my sin, is alive today. I'm living in connection with the resurrected Savior. This is God's dream for you and me, that we would walk, that we would abide in that wondrous, wondrous dream. The dream of God is our hope. God's dream is our hope where, where he has has. He has confronted your life with Jesus. And you, by faith, have trusted Jesus. And Jesus now begins to shape your life. This is what, uh, what, what, the, what the first church was all about. You look at verse 32. Now, the multitude of believers were of one heart and one mind, or one heart and one soul. The multitude 
of believers. The believers, that's the key word. You know what it means to be a believer. It means that you have trusted your life into the hands of Jesus Christ. A believer is one who saw that their only hope for rescue out of sin and out of shame is through Jesus. A believer is one who looks to Jesus and and sees his arms outstretched upon a cross and, and, and says, Jesus is being killed for my transgressions. Jesus is being beaten for my sin. The back, the, the weight of my shame has been placed upon his back. He is suffering on my behalf. He is dying, taking the wrath of a holy God upon himself, a wrath that I deserve. This is Jesus, my rescuer, my savior, my king. I want to praise him. I want to love him. I want to live for him. I want to be like him. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but only lean on Jesus' name, on Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Here's God's dream. It is his hope come alive in me, in you, in us. Here is God's dream. It's where I place all my trust in Jesus. Believing in Jesus is trusting him in a saving way that changes and transforms our life. But it's also, God's dream is also this wonderful picture of not just what he has done through Jesus for me, but it's also me living in sync and in rhythm with the life that he has called me to live. It's believing on Jesus for salvation, and it's believing on Jesus for every day. It's abiding in Jesus. It's where I wake up in the morning, I'm walking my life, and I'm not walking this life alone. I am connected. I'm a branch, connected to the vine. I'm connected to Jesus. And if I disconnect from Jesus, then I'm dying on a vine or off the vine. I want to abide in Jesus. If I'm going to immerse myself in God's dream, and God's dream is this wondrous hope of his will and his purpose and his plan for me, for our church. If I want to immerse myself in in that dream, I, I need to believe on Jesus so that I'm rescued from my sin. And I need to believe on Jesus so that I'm abiding in him. I want to abide in Jesus. How about you? If you're a follower of Jesus, you bet you want to abide in him. That's how you're made. You want to abide in Jesus. So so what we need to do is more than just have a quick emotion of celebration when we sing a song about the resurrection or or hear a good sermon on the heaven. We need to have a, 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 a discipline in our life. This hope that we long to have and long to know is a discipline that we pursue. It's a discipline where we wake up in the morning and entrust our life into the hands of Jesus. It's a discipline where, where we cut off any desire, intention, or thought, or action, or word, or phrase, or, or, or pursuit, or even relationship. We cut off anything that is disconnecting us from abiding in Jesus. By the way, you need to think about those things. What is it in your life that you need to cut away that keep you from abiding in Jesus? What is it? You need to cut that off. 
I mean, you need to have a fresh cutting every day where you don't let anything take root in your soul that would vie for power of your affections. Got to cut it off. Cut it out. Stop it. Right? If we're going to be authentic, we need to believe on Jesus so that, so that we are saved by Jesus, but so we are abiding in Jesus. Those who were believing, they, they, were, they were of one mind and one soul. Why were they one mind and one soul? Well, because Jesus was at the center of everything they were. You, don't want, to, you want to know what unites a church? There's only one thing that unites a church. It's not the preacher. It's not the music. It's not the program. It's not the building. It's not the good looks or bad looks or good songs or bad songs. You know what unites the church? Jesus Christ and nothing else. And if we are depending on anything other than Jesus to bring us together, we are not living authentic lives as a church. Jesus himself, becoming like Jesus, living like Jesus, abiding in Jesus. Now that's what unites the church. The second thing we look at, not only should we soak in God's grace, which, which leads to authenticity, because authenticity begins with this transformation and, and then an abiding. But secondly, we need to soak in God's grace. You look at verse 33. It says, now, uh, with great power, the apostles gave testimony to the resurrection of of, of Jesus Christ, and great grace was upon them all. Great grace was upon them all. Just think about that, great grace. Now, grace here is the beauty and the glory of God made alive in us. That's what grace means in this context. It's, it's the beauty and the glory of God made alive in us. It's made alive in us because Jesus isn't dead. He's alive and he belongs to me and I belong to him. And I walk hand in hand with Jesus, the risen Savior. And because Jesus is alive, now I am alive on the inside. And I'm being made more and more and more like Jesus. And our church is being made more and more and more and more like Jesus when I'm believing and abiding in him. God's grace makes me beautiful from the inside out. And obviously, um, people like me, it's a lot of the inside work that's made beautiful, not so much of the outside. Y'all, y'all didn't laugh at that. That was, I didn't, I know, some of y'all did. Some of y'all who can commiserate with me. Um, we are, we, we need to soak in this grace, soak in the presence of God. That, that's, that's keying in on abiding. If we're going to be authentic, then we need to soak in this grace so that, so that the glory and the beauty of God comes alive in us for others to see. That's, that's they, they, with great power, they gave testimony to the resurrection of the Lord. Now, most people would hear about resurrection of somebody from the dead. You think about it, somebody knocks on your door today. Somebody goes to your house, knocks on your door, and then you open it and say, hey, and they say, hey, listen, I want to talk to you about somebody who just raised from the dead yesterday. What do you think? Yeah, mm, thank you, I bought it the, you know. I give it the office or something, right? Why would it? It's not any different in the first century. 
what, what gave great power to the testimony of the, of the apostles was that the entire church was soaking in God's grace. So the entire church was filled with the beauty and the glory of God. And the entire church was a shining example of Jesus Christ alive in the world right then, right now. You and I need to come alive in the beauty and the glory of God. Can I ask you a question? If you were to go home and you were to ask your children, or you were to go home, you were to ask your spouse, or you would go home and you were to ask your best friend, or you would go to work and ask your coworker, somebody that knows you, somebody has to spend a lot of time with you, ask them this question. Do you see the beauty and the glory of God in me? And if the answer is no, stop being an inauthentic follower of Jesus. Are you, now, I get it. My children would say, sometimes, right? And wouldn't yours? Your, your, your people you work with? Well, sometimes. If you're at sometimes, that's a good beginning. But it, if you're at sometimes, you need to get to more times. See, when, when, when I ask my children, do you see the beauty and the glory of God in me? They would say, well, sometimes yes and sometimes no. And what my desire is every day is to be less no and more yes. I want them. I want you. I want the people around me. I want the person in the store that I shop. I want the person that sees me walking down the road. I want them to see the beauty and the glory of God alive in me because that means that I'm becoming more and more like Jesus. Jesus. You need to want that too. You need to wake up with that feeling in your gut that says, oh my goodness, give me more of Jesus today so that people begin to see the glory and the beauty of a living God. And that leads to the third point, which is leave others better than you find them. This is a saying that Edie picked up uh, some time ago and and, uh, I don't know where she got it. She could tell you. Uh, but, but it's become kind of thematic for our relationship. Leave, leave each other better than you find them. It's, it's a pretty good principle in our marriage and, and even in our parenting. Leave them better than you find them. It, it, it's a good principle for um, the, the, the relationships I have here at the church and in the work environment. Leave them better than you find them. It's a pretty good principle here. For us as a family of faith, we want to leave each other better than we found them. And it's certainly a good principle when we talk to people who don't know Jesus. If we make it our business to be like Jesus and leave them better than we found them, something's going to begin to happen. There's going to be an awakening that takes place. They might not trust Jesus, but you know what they're going to start saying? Man, there's something different about those people down at First Norfolk. Hey, there's something different about those people. They're, they're not stingy. They're not miserly. They're not, they're not, uh, uh, they're not uh, hate everything except themselves kind of people. They've jettisoned self-centeredness. They're, they're not selfish like people I work with or people in my social club. I, I, I look at them, and they're giving themselves away to help others. They are, they are trying their best to leave Hampton Roads better than they found it. They're trying their best to leave their neighbors better than they found them. They're trying their best to leave each other better than they found them. They're trying to do something. I don't get it. I don't understand it. But man, I think I want some of that. 
See, that's the first church. They were selling houses and they were selling land and they were getting all the prophets and they were laying them at the apostles' feet. By the way, that's a good strategy. Let go your passion for your possessions. I'm not saying, and I don't think Luke is saying that, or God is saying that you've got to sell everything, but, but the principle there is they had a greater passion to help others than they did to possess stuff. Hey, listen, as a follower of Jesus, if your greater passion is to possess than it is to give, then you're doing it wrong. Our job, as we walk in the flow and the rhythm of God's dream, and as we, uh, as we abide in Christ, as we believe in Christ, as we soak in this wondrous grace that, that makes us glorious and, and, and beautiful in the inside because it's God come alive in us, uh, when, when, when we start living that way, then, then the natural flow, the natural fir- fruit of that authentic life is going to be generosity. I'm going to help you. Verse 34, no one. Lacked anything. Can I just say that if we lived like that, the world that hates Jesus would begin to love the bride of Christ. But more importantly, even more important than that, When we start making it our business to fulfill the royal law of love and to live each day more like Jesus, more concerned being like Jesus than being like a Republican. Listen to me. Some of us care more about being a Republican than we do about being like Jesus. Or being like a Democrat because I am a free-flowing offender when it comes to political parties. Or an independent. You think, you think that's what really counts in our culture today? Do you? I mean, honestly, do you? If you do, you're mistaken. There's nowhere in the Bible, which is the only absolute truth, There's nowhere in the Bible that says the political machinations in the United States of America is what matters in culture today. I'm not saying it's immaterial. I'm just saying we better get our heads focused on what's most important. God's dream is not for us to be Republican. Our hope is not to be Democratic. Our hope, our dream has to be to walk in the rhythm of God's will, his purpose and his plan, believing in Jesus, abiding in Jesus so that we become more like Jesus, so that God's glory and beauty come alive in me and I leave people better than I found them because I'm being like Jesus in their world. How about you? Today, start the discipline. Today, start becoming more like Barnabas. See, my prayer, out of today, my prayer is that we would have a battalion of Barnabases arise in First Norfolk where we 
make it our job to be so authentically connected to Jesus that we bleed generosity wherever we go. And God will be glorified.